Welcome to Leaders in Conversation, a series of podcasts in which I talk with leaders and they share their inspirational personal leadership stories. In this episode, I'm delighted to be in conversation with Hind Farag. Hind is an executive coach, a strategy consultant, and an energy analytics leader with a passion for leading disruptive transformation. Hind is based in Sugarland, a suburb of Houston, Texas. However, we met in Scotland a few years ago when Hind was working with a global energy analytics company. Welcome, Hind, to Leaders in Conversation. Thanks, Annie. And let me tell you, um, I'm delighted to be having this conversation with you as well. Thank you. Well, I would like to begin at the beginning and ask you, what shaped you, your values and beliefs, into the leader that you are today? Well, let me start with one of the things that shaped me more recently, um, and it's what you just mentioned, which is um, what when we met in Scotland. That was a pivotal moment in my life um, and my career. And if you remember during the lunch break, which was just four hours after I met you, I ran, I ran to you and said, what, what did you do to be able to do this? You did. <laughs> yes. And that was definitely a shaping moment for me. Um, and I remember another moment that we may want to talk about later, which is when you offered me feedback and the feedback was around how small I make myself. But let me go back a little bit um, and talk about some of the things that shaped me since my childhood. I was raised in Sudan, my home country, my birth country, Egypt, the UK, when my, where my father did his postgraduate studies, Saudi Arabia, and Kuwait. So I was raised between three different continents, very different cultures. I found myself in a different school every year or two. I was around students from all over the world, different cultures, different races, different religions. And I had to prove myself every time as a human being. That definitely had a lot to do with who I became today. I had a father that empowered me beyond limits. And I think the first person that empowers a girl is her father, or the first person that could crush a girl could be her father. So I was really fortunate. Um, I have a mother that taught me, teaches me that excellence was average, actually, is average actually until today. I come from an extended family culture, which means you care about a relative that is five degrees away. And you're responsible for them if they cannot fully bear their own responsibility for one reason or the, or the other. I lived most of my adulthood, I spent it in the U.S., but three different regions of the U.S., which is another whole different dimension to the diversity I have been exposed to. I also worked in the energy industry, which is one of the most highly intellectual industries. And Annie, you're probably learning a lot about that now that you're coaching people in the industry. <laughs> <laughs> and I worked on so many different facets of that, um, including analysis, project management, people leadership, practice development and leadership. I supported in my consulting prior to entering the energy industry and now companies and people in other industries 
I was exposed to so many different people and leaders as my own leaders and as leaders I watched. And I met you. (laughs) (laughs) I can keep going on and on, but these are some of the things that I think shaped me. Obviously, I come also from a country that's pretty diverse as well. Um, so Sudan is in northern cent- slash central Africa, if you may, and it's a mix of African and Arab cultures. It's also a product of so many religions in its history and in its present as well. So it's diversity all around, I may say, in my experience, in the kinds of people I interact with and in the kinds of opportunities I end up with. And diversity in all its shapes is very, very important to you, I know. And given your upbringing and your traveling around, you've experienced so many different peoples and ways of living and ways of working. From your own culture, tell me more about the looking after people five degrees from you and how that is part of your life and your leadership now. My culture doesn't have necessarily or did not have when we were growing up that individualistic angle. So it was about everybody feeling okay. You couldn't even tell the difference between who had means and who did not, because those who had means in the family made sure that others did. And also, people did not necessarily live in different neighborhoods. Uh, you, The houses would be bigger, but they would never be that much more fancier. Obviously, you could tell if somebody was really poor, was extremely poor, but the middle class was such a huge part of the society and it was within the middle class differences you couldn't tell. And sometimes even people in the upper class, you couldn't really tell. The The way you could tell that somebody had means is through their generosity, through what they were able to offer others. And, you know, I would say this about my father. I would say this about a lot of people that I noticed growing up. So there was no excuse for you to be living, you know, in, in very good conditions and for some one of your relatives not to be able to afford a meal or a good living. Or and until now actually, in my in my in Sudan, people from the same family will collect money to help somebody go through a major surgery or to help somebody get married. So that affected me in a big way because I still worry how the next person is feeling. I also worry about whether things around them are fair for them, are appropriate, because I was taught since my very early years to worry and be concerned and be compassionate about how other people around me are feeling. So um, how did that shape my leadership? That taught me to lead from the heart. Yes. It taught me to lead with a real desire to take people to places. Part of what I learned is not just about offering people means so they would actually have a good life today. It was also about enabling them, empowering them, helping them with a small project, 
um, helping them actually with their education. That's huge. That's that was very big in my culture for those who had it to allow other people to go to school, to go to college, to have their first job and to be independent. So, and that is true leadership. True leadership is, is about holding somebody's hand, but then also empowering them to create their own path with the collective paths eventually leading to what you think is an ideal place for us to be. So in terms of my leadership, I I really drive from the heart. It's usually about people's potential and how that is aligned with what the business or the organization can get to. And it's about taking people and businesses to places. I don't look at leadership as a place or a position or an accolade or a reward for performance. Actually, that's one of the things that I always want to bring to leadership. Leadership is not something you give somebody because they did a great job. It's not an accolade. I think that's really why we have a leadership crisis in the world, because we think of leadership that as something that people who do a great job or say great things deserve. It should be the other way around. What kind of leadership do people or organizations deserve? Do you really, as a leader, do you really have a desire to take people to places? Do you have a vision for what that place looks like? Do you have a vision for what the path looks like? If you don't, you're not a leader. I really don't care what kind of titles you have or how well you performed as an individual contributor, but it's about what you have in the heart. And that really, I think, comes from that notion. Because if you think about it, I never saw my father um, or other people that I can think about as role models. I never saw them in their jobs. I never saw them leading in organizations. I saw them leading in families, and I saw them leading in communities. And ironically, those who did very well in leading families and communities were the same people who did very well in leading companies and organizations, businesses, governments, you name it. Absolutely. Leadership is about who you are and what you're leading for. I love the way that you have described it being about coming from the heart and empowering people to find their path and holding their hand along the way. And the way in which your father and mother, but your father in particular, held your hand and believed in you and empowered you to to be who you are and to follow your own path and to be generous along the way. You're also a mother, Hind, as well. And are these values, these beliefs, your way of leading in the world, are these things which you talk about, share, with your son? Absolutely. I I think it's really not about talking about them. It's mostly about doing them. Our children watch us and they watch us more, much more closely than we think they do. They notice things about us that we don't notice about ourselves. And I'm going to say that this is also the case about people who look up to your leadership or actually people that you were appointed to lead. They all watch you. They observe every small thing you do. 
And that's where they take their messages and cues from. So I, I think for my son, that's exactly what happens. And what happened, he's been watching me because he tells me things about um, my values that I haven't necessarily explicitly explained to him. And my mother, one of the things that I, I was taught by my mother is that raising children is about role modeling. She, she would always say that. And honestly, my parents rarely gave me exact instructions of what to do. I just watched them and then they would throw me in the middle of it and watch me from a distance. So I did the same with my son. And I'm also very open with my son. I was very honest from day one. I didn't want to hide from him how this world looks like and what the human being was about. I did not want him to grow up to find that. So now I'm watching that as he grew up, he's been very ready to start contributing at a much younger age than I did. It's all about contribution for him. It's all about elevating the situation around him, improving it. He just gets in the middle of it and he starts doing it. Even I'm astonished. And I remember one day he was going to sacrifice some of his own time and money for something that I argued with. I was like, you're too young for this. You need to take care of your school. You need to take, keep your money to yourself. That person or that group of people, they're adults, they should have taken care of themselves. And he was like, but this is not what I watched you doing. Wonderful feedback to you, Hind. Absolutely. And what you say about our being watched as leaders, as parents, I really believe is true. I often, and you may well have heard me talking about how organisations are a reflection of their leadership and how the leaders behave is reflected in how other people behave and how they feel. Years ago, I had an experience of being invited to shadow somebody over in the Netherlands. And as part of building the relationship with him, I asked him to tell me what he cared about, what he stood for, his values and his beliefs. And he said, no, what I want you to do is you're here to shadow me, to follow me around uh, all day and to tell me at the end of the day from having seen me and how I show up, my leadership behaviour, what you think my values and beliefs are. It was such a terrific challenge and invitation to me to do just that, to see him living his values through his behaviour, which is what you do and what your son has seen you do. Exactly. I remember there was an exercise that we went through with you in Scotland. I think that was September of 2017. And it, it was about providing feedback to each other about how we show up as leaders. And I'm sure you probably did this a few times, uh, if not many, many times. We all work together, not necessarily closely. We came from you know, kind of distant groups. So we didn't necessarily work day in and day out together, but we all worked together. So we all observed each other. And I remember that we were all amazed about what we observed from each other. So a question to you is, do you usually find people (laughs) getting shocked about what others who've observed them learned about them? I think that we are like your son, 
watching each other all of the time. And particularly as leaders, we cannot help but have an impact how we come into a room, how we are in a Zoom meeting or a Teams meeting, how we show up tells people something about how we are and something about who we are, maybe in the moment, not necessarily all of the time. My invitation to you and to your colleagues at the time was to think about how have I shown up? How am I experienced by other people? And to invite feedback on my experience of you. It's neither wrong nor right, but this is my experience of you. Inviting leaders to think about the impact that they would like to have on other people and then asking people, how do you experience me? Is this the impact I've had on you? Even if we've only met earlier today, even if we have met virtually. You and I met in the reception at the hotel we were staying and working in in Scotland. And I was a little bit anxious. It was my first day of meeting a whole new group of people. I was looking forward to working with you all. You were the first person I met at reception and we had a short exchange and I already, from that short exchange, felt encouraged, empowered by you. And part of that was your mischievousness, your wonderful light touch with which you were up for it. You were ready to go on this leadership journey yourself with people, actually, that you didn't know very well. And it was such a pleasure to meet you. And you had a huge impact on me, Hind, in that moment at reception. I can remember looking forward to your being in the group when we sat together the next day. I'm really humbled by that. Yes, I remember that. I do take, tend to take things pretty lightly. I see no reason for being uptight. We're all human beings at the end of the day. We're all the same person. We were born the same way. We will, you know, uh, die the same way. There is nothing, honestly, there is nothing really different at heart, if that's what we focus on. It was it was fun to meet you, for sure. It helped me settle into what I was here for. Uh, you have such a kind presence about you. You do fill the room without doing anything, with kindness and with a pleasant feeling. So you definitely helped put me at ease. And one thing that I found out in general that people do notice you when you come into their life for the first time. Mm -hmm. And you make an impact. One thing that I learned about myself, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but I do make an impact from the first time. I used to think that it was because of the way I looked, because I worked in North America most of the time in Europe with in an industry that was mostly uh, white men dominated, I'm a Muslim, black, covered woman. So I always thought it was uh, partially due to the way I looked. But then I found out that even within communities where people look like me, that first impression was huge, whether in a good or a bad way, but I made an impression. There was an impact. And seriously, I did not find this until three years ago when I was already in my 40s. And then I started thinking, well, if I had really known this all this time, I would have actually thought a lot more 
about how I, how I was showing up. And if I was showing up to be who I was from that first time, if I knew that my son was observing me, maybe I would have been a little bit more conscious, but I would have also thought a lot more about how I was showing up for him. It worked out. I got lucky because honesty is one of my values. So that's why it worked out. <laughs> but I, I think I take things lightly. And that's the reason why I said sometimes too lightly. That is the one thing that I feel like I was taking too lightly is my impact on people. If I knew I had the power to make a positive impact, to make somebody feel like you, somebody that I respect and really look up to. If I, if I knew that I had the power to put somebody like you at ease, you know, maybe there were so many more opportunities for me to put people that I looked up to and I thought did not need any, anything from me at ease or help them. Or, and maybe that would have helped me elevate my impact. Uh, earlier, I think it was a lesson. I do not regret what I did before because the out- I love the outcomes still. And now you're making an even bigger impact in through the work you do, not only helping leaders transform, organizations transform, holding their hand, helping them to find their path. You're also making a big difference in the community close to home of Sudanese people and in Sudan. I think following up from that story of how we met, you also know that uh, through that week, uh, we had a few other instances and encounters. And I'm really thankful for the experience I had with you and the rest of the team in that session. Um, It was very timely. It was a pivotal time in my career and my life. Uh, I was going through what I now term a self-engineered mid-career crisis. <laughs> and you and I spoke after that week. I asked you for feedback. Your first observation was that somebody like me should be the first one in the room. When I was a child, I would be sitting in the very last row. So that was me sitting in the very last row. And you said, why do you make yourself smaller? So I really had a very a few tough conversations with myself about why I made myself smaller. And through my pivoting, I wanted to break through that. And I think I'm here today in terms of that. I'm definitely making a much larger impact across many larger communities. And you'd be amazed because conventional wisdom in our modern world is that if you have a very senior level position in a large global organization managing teams of tens or hundreds of people, then you're definitely making a big impact. You're probably not small. But that was when I was making myself very, very small because I was staying in a box. I was trying to be compliant. I was so concerned about showing up as who I truly was. And then when I decided to break free from that, I ended up being here, doing what you just described, doing supporting leaders with coaching them, consulting, helping them develop through transitions and transformations, because I think these are real gifts for us to actually make a difference in our own lives and in the world, like I did. And the other thing for me was a passion that um, I'd always had, obviously, but I did not necessarily, because I was making myself smaller, 
by following the protocols of what makes somebody appear big in a big place. And I didn't necessarily have the time or the energy or the focus to actually follow my passion in contributing in lifting up others. What I've learned is something small from us can make a big difference in other people's lives. It could be a little bit of money. It could be a little bit of your time. It could be a few words. You just, it was from you. It was a question. Hint, why do you make yourself smaller? That's it. So a little bit of contribution from me or you here and there would make a huge difference elsewhere. It's about looking out for those who did not necessarily have the opportunity to 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 go through and experience the things we have we have been experiencing and going through. They did not have the opportunity to to basically reach out for the kind of means that we had the opportunity to bring in for ourselves. I did not feel like I just wanted to sh- contribute a little bit of money, donate a little bit of money here, volunteer a little bit of time there. I wanted to make this difference across my community. I wanted other people to volunteer their time, to donate their money. I wanted to basically market this concept of a little bit from you, a little bit from me can make a huge difference in the lives of hundreds because they've never had the opportunity to talk to people like us. So just a few words that we could actually say to help empower and move them from where they're at could make a big difference. It could be because somebody does not have access to to the financial means. It could also be because somebody did not have access to the conceptual means. They may very well be well off, but they may be culturally, conceptually in a very different place where they feel powerless where they themselves can actually elevate their communities if they were empowered. So I found myself co-founding first a nonprofit organization that supports the refugee community in Houston. And the name of that organization, to give you a sense, was The Future Beyond Charity. I wanted these people to be empowered beyond needing charity. More recently, I founded my own nonprofit with my son, and a friend, and our focus is to support the underprivileged Sudanese communities in Houston, mostly refugee communities, as well as um, Sudanese communities in Sudan, where war, poverty, lack of education have really made life difficult for these people. Just living in the present moment is difficult. You and I are sitting here thinking about the future. They can't even, they, they're too overwhelmed to think about now or to live in now. And it's really about creating opportunities for them to make now livable so they can actually plan for a future where they don't need anyone to create these opportunities for them. Does the nonprofit have an organization for listeners who might like also to be part of contributing? So the name of the organization is GAPS. Because the intention was to find gaps in empowering the underprivileged that were not being fulfilled by larger organizations or governments. Remember, people are living in these conditions because of corruption and poverty. 
because government officials can't care less or because large organizations don't have access to these communities or have missed them because there is so much charity to be done. What the real impact is about, it's about the ripple effect. Start small. You can start with a small project. You can start with a small initiative, but be big in what you're doing. And that's what you taught me. That's wonderful. Thank you, Hinden. And I was going to ask you, what are the three things that you would encourage listeners and leaders listening to our conversation? And that has to be one of the three things to start small. I would say be ready to fail, even if you think you're not ready to succeed. Many leaders, and especially female leaders, tend to hold back because of self-doubt of, or, fear, or because of their fear of failure. I was one of these people. And honestly, every step along the path is actually one step closer to success. And every step in itself has lessons for us. It's very rare that anything we do is a complete failure. It's always something that we do to make things happen. And then a lesson. Everything we do has a lesson and has a part of it that is success, is actually moving ahead to achieve your goal. So make that next step. Be ready to fail. Third one is promote diversity and inclusion by embracing and taking advantage of diversity in mentality. It's look beyond gender, race, religion, background. Look for diversity in mentality. Look for diversity in thought. Recruit it. It's not just about making the numbers look good. It's not about looking like you're diverse. It's actually about taking advantage of the diversity because the diversity does empower you. It does teach you a lot as a leader. It makes an organization stronger. When you're not doing that, you're depriving yourself of being most competitive in our world today because you're depriving yourself of resources that will help you succeed because they bring a different point of view. They bring the different aspects. They bring different capabilities and skill sets. So go recruit diversity. And diversity in thought will automatically result in diversity in gender, race, religion, and background, because it's all these things that help us think differently and help us share different thoughts and have a different mentality. Thank you, Hind. Wonderful hearing your story and your three encouragements and empowerments to listeners and, and leaders. Thank you so much for our conversation. To contact Hind, please do so via hindfarag at transformcnc.com or visit her website, transformcnc.com. I encourage you to follow her on LinkedIn where Hind regularly posts great articles. To find out more about me, Annie Townend, go to my website, annietownend.com, or follow me on LinkedIn. To listen to more inspirational stories, do browse the full series of Leaders in Conversation via my website, Spotify, iTunes, or Buzzsprout. If you would like to be a guest on Leaders in Conversation, I would love to hear from you. Please do contact me via email at annie at annietownend.com. Thank you, Hind. Thank you very much, Annie. It was a great pleasure.